With current market conditions, interest rates, high inflation, stock market is down, let's look at how real estate market is doing. Whether you're considering to buy a home, have been waiting to buy, or thinking about selling, my guest today is Michael Bell, a full-time real estate broker in Southern California, has some ideas, tips, and suggestions for us to consider. Michael knows the inside scoop when selling homes. After 20-year-plus residential real estate broker, Bell has successfully handled over $550 million in sales and ranked top 0.01 of all agents in the United States, according to the Wall Street Journal. Tune in into our conversation. You and I know that making smart financial decisions can be challenging, but in 21st century, Financial freedom is no longer just for the 1% wealthy. It is for you and me. The question is, how do we find time, avoid making painful mistakes, and find the best resources to help us reach our financial goals? Join me on my journey helping busy families figure out how they can gain financial confidence and clarity, get actionable tips, and learn from the best experts on how to stop trading time for money. It is now the time you started living your best financial life. My name is Anna Sergunina, and welcome to the Money Boss Podcast. Hey, Money Bosses, are you ready to get your financial life in order? Once and for all, as soon as possible? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you often lose track of how much money you have to spend? Do you want to get your financial life together, but just don't quite know how? I am with you. I've been there. I've struggled through all of these. And I know you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to get better. So why do you continue to struggle? I know you can get your own money in order. It took me years to figure out. It took me years of pain, struggle, frustration, anger. But you don't have to go through all of that. You don't even have to get a financial planning degree like I did in order to be successful. Allow me to present to you my Money Flow system, a free playbook of how you can automate your finances, even if you hate budgeting. After you download this free playbook, you will never have to worry about budgeting and who likes that budgeting thing anyway. You will stop accumulating debt and create a bulletproof plan of how to quickly pay it off. You will be able to pinpoint exactly what your income and expenses are. You will never have to miss a single bill again. And you will always, always have a solid idea of how much money is in each of your accounts. So head over to money-flowsystem.com to download my free Money Flow Playbook, a blueprint to streamline your finances in less five or five weeks. Guaranteed. Head over to money-flowsystem.com. Hey, Money Bosses. Annie's here and welcome back to the Money Boss Podcast. I am excited for my conversation today with Michael Bell. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna. So excited to have you here. Now, we're chatting about real estate, residential real estate to be specific. And I personally have intimate relationship with it just you know, for many reasons. And I think all of our listeners um, will come across having to either buy a home, sell a home, or, you know, live in one or rent one. So, you know, there's lots of ways that we get to um, interact with real estate. So um, personally, my husband and I just bought our um, newer home earlier this year. So I just uh, kind of fresh off the press, went through the transition uh, and the craziness of all the that our world presents us today. So I'm excited to chat with you um, Michael, uh, you know, how how the things are right now in the marketplace? What are you seeing locally with clients? Let's just dive in, um, you know, from this angle. And then I'd love for you to share um, more about the book that you wrote uh, called Seller's Mistakes, because there's definitely a lot <laughs> could be learned from that. Um, and we'll see where this conversation takes us. So welcome again. Let's get started. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it very much. So I'm a real estate broker in Pasadena. I've been selling homes for about 25 years. Um, 
so to, to answer your first question about what's going on with the marketplace, here we are in early September. And I think the best way to kind of explain what's going on, at least in our marketplace, is it seems like buyers think it's 2023 and sellers still think it's 2021. There's a disconnect. And I think every, there's been a heat wave going through for the last few weeks. Things have been very slow in, in August across all markets. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit of because generally uh, nationwide, that is a little bit of a slow period because people are going on vacation, coming back. They've already settled into their home. Uh, they've already settled into the school district. Um, and then of course you throw in the fact that it's been excruciatingly hot and nobody really wants to go outside. I mean, I'm in Pasadena, California. We've had an average of 110 degree days for the last, oh, I don't know, 10 days. It's been insane. Nobody really wants to go out. I get it. But um, there is definitely a change that's happening. It's hard to tell. I mean, I, I don't know anybody that has a crystal ball, but I think it would probably be uh, a consensus to agree that things are not going to go great. Uh, I don't think they're necessarily going to go horribly, but it really kind of depends. And I know that your husband probably says the same thing. When you ask a real estate question, it always depends. It depends on a lot of factors. Depends if, you know, is the market good? Well, it depends if you're a buyer. Depends if you're a seller. You know, it really all depends. It also kind of depends, like, for example, what's going on in the market. Now, if you were in, if we were in Boise, Idaho, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you saw that article in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago. It was the front page of the Wall Street Journal. In Boise, Idaho, since April, 63% of all home listings had a price reduction. Wow. I mean, that's astonishing. And I'll tell you, most sellers don't want to do a price reduction, but the fact that 63% of them have succumbed to the, the fact that they have to do a price reduction says a lot. Now, Boise, Idaho happens to also be the most frothiest marketplace in the nation. I mean, even more, more so than Florida, more so than really any other spot in the United States. That The price increase went so high because people are, were looking for you know, inexpensive space um, to, to move to because they figure, well, maybe this COVID thing's going to last forever and we can work from home. And why not do that on, you know, a 20,000 foot lot instead of a condo somewhere? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. But yes, as, as we can see, there's definitely, there's definitely differentiation in the markets, right? Like California versus um, Idaho versus Florida. And so with that comes some of these things that you're talking about, price, huge price reduction, right? Um, even, even, even in such a short period of time. So if you have, if you were to kind of look at the landscape, because the, the, like the burning question I get from clients, right. And um, I'm sure this is where you're seeing, seeing with, you know, from the folks that you're working with, whether they're selling or they're buying is like, is this a good time to buy a home? right? Because interest rates are increased and we have anchoring data going back to 2020, 2021, where they're like two and a half percent, right? So like, we can't forget that because they were so low. So is this a good time to buy a home? Is this a good time to sell? And I know like the short answer is depends. So like when you were to look at these markets and I know you're in California, like how do you, how do you like make a decision on, on the next steps? Uh, those are great questions. Uh, first of all, we've been spoiled, absolutely spoiled with really low interest rates. And it's these are not historical interest rates. They've never been this low or when, when they were really low. I refinanced my house in 2021 at 2.99%. And I remember at the time, I missed the boat. I could have gotten 2.7. I was so upset. My wife was like, <laughs> when you do the boater, you know? So we, but we've, it's, it's hard to forget, I guess, uh, that, and, and, and like I said, to be spoiled, but if you look at historical interest rates, something at five or something at six is incredibly low still. So this is the interesting thing, and, and we'll dive into the book in a little bit, but my book is full of data, and I love data because data doesn't lie. It's just, it's straightforward, and it, and the 
the data sets that I use are from very, very reliable source and large macro data uh, that was, that's been collected. And uh, one of the things that I've really, um, that, that's intriguing, two, two points to your question. First of all, about 20 years ago, uh, the average said they, the National Association of Realtors, who has the base, best data set, uh, they, ask, they ask a lot of questions. They ask like over 100 questions to, do, to new buyers and new sellers. And one of the questions is, is, how long do you intend to stay in this house that you just bought? And 20 years ago, it was close to five to seven years. Mm -hmm. For the last five years, it's been trending up. And the latest data is saying that buyers are, 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 just, are answering that question by saying they plan to stay there for 14 years. So, and, and there's a reason for that. 14 years, sure. That part of that is driven by low interest rates. You know, you got a low interest rate. Um, but also you have to kind of see what's going on in, in the landscape. Things are expensive they will probably continue to be expensive. I'm talking about real estate. It's, it's expensive to remodel, it's expensive to add. And it's um, almost, in Los Angeles at least, it's almost impossible to build new because there's, no, there's really no land to build on. And the land that is out there, it is so tied up with restrictions that like, for example, in LA County, you can't have a retaining wall taller than four feet. So what do you do? You have to have multiple retaining walls and they have to be separated by a certain amount of space and they have to be engineered. It's incredibly expensive to build on hillsides now. And on top of that, there's fire department regulations. They want more access roads for you to build, build in the hills and on and on and on. But in Los Angeles, you really are. I think that you're not really going to see the single family residential home anymore being built on a piece of land. The, the American dream, they call it. What are we seeing instead? What we're seeing now is luxury condos being built up all, all over the place. We, we're seeing density bonuses. Or, I'm sorry. <laughs> high, we're, we're seeing cities giving density, what's called density bonuses to developers, which basically means that in the central core of these cities, they're allowing them to build mega structures. Mm -hmm. Buildings with retail on the bottom with a lot of condos up above or just huge apartment buildings that are going straight up. All of these cities in Los Angeles are being completely transformed in the central core. The other thing that they're doing in California or in also in Los Angeles is they're pushing to, to allow people to have what's called an accessory dwelling unit, ADU. Mm -hmm. And an ADU essentially is like a, the easy way to explain it is a legal garage conversion. Now, what's interesting about in California, and I, I explain this to a lot of my clients, they don't they don't quite realize this. The fact is in California, there really is no such thing as single family residential zoning anymore because California has mandated that every municipality has to allow for an accessory dwelling unit. So an, an, an accessory dwelling unit has its own electrical, it's electrical box, it has its own address. It can have its own meters. You don't have to have meters. Um, but we're seeing that. And then there was a, a Senate bill that got passed last year, Senate Bill um, 9. And it hasn't been codified with all the different municipalities, but what it says is it allows a person that owns a single family residential home, you know, typical lot, and allows them to split it in two and build two units on each. Mm you can kind of see that the reason why they're doing that is that there's really, it's really hard to build anywhere else. And, you know, LA is great. LA, but is, LA has its good, good parts. It's, and it's a lot of bad parts too, but still people want to live here. And the only way to make that happen is really, do you have to create these opportunities for people to, to have housing? And this is, this is the solution instead of opening up the hillsides. I mean, there's plenty of land out there don't get me started on all of this, but there's plenty of land out there, but it, it, there's just so many regulations and it's so, it's so tough and so expensive that it's easier to, um, it, this, if, for this to be the solution. 
Yeah. So, so that, that, that's why, you know, the, the data points and I actually grew up in my financial planning career, kind of keeping this metric in the back of my head, like, all right, well, if we're planning for somebody to buy a home, when would be the next home you buy, right? Especially if you have younger families starting out having kids, right? Like kind of going into this um, transition and you're like, yeah, five to seven years, that seems about right. You know, when the kids are a little older, maybe we get our starter home and then we move to, you know, a better area or, you know, better school district or whatever and more expensive home. So as, as the market now, right, presents all of these challenges, high interest, higher interest rates. It's like, it's just like, you're, it's like, it's rolls out of your tongue, like high interest rates. Yeah. They're not quite high. They're, they're, they're times were worse than that you know, cost of construction is so much more, not enough land, especially in, in, in the area where we live, like all of these challenges, I would assume push that, you know, amount of years that people want to stay in the home. I personally don't want to move forever. Right. Like, but this is, this might be coming high with like, we just bought a home, we settled and still kind of doing stuff. But, um, you know, as the time goes, people still, still, still move. You move for other reasons, right? Maybe you get a job somewhere or people retire. Like that's, you know, so there's still going to be opportunities, like you said, for, for all of this um, to shift. So when you're. Yeah. In terms of what you just said, though, I want to hit that point really quick. The National Association of Realtors asked people why they bought or sold. And Mm -hmm. the top 10 reasons, believe it or not, in that top 10, financial reasons is not there. It's not because it's a great investment and it's not because of a great interest rate. It's because of life events, getting married, getting divorced, uh, moving closer to the kids, upsizing, downsizing, uh, you know, j- feeling good about buying a home. But isn't that interesting that it seems like everybody else, they all say you shouldn't buy or it's too expensive to buy, but that's, people don't make their decisions that way. They're, they're buying for a life event. No, and yeah, it's it'll, it'll it'll probably it'll you know, it's it's been like that for for a very long time. It's different for commercial real estate, of course, but we're talking about residential real estate. Oh yeah, it's a it's a it in in the space of financial planning, it's a like it it's a behavioral you know decision. It's an emotional decision because you're buying a home that you're going to live in. It it nobody looks at it as like oh is that a good deal is that a good investment no it's it's i love this it doesn't matter you know, i mean i guess within your means but it doesn't matter you know what it costs can i afford it sure so yeah i i think there's a lot to be said that housing right particularly you know homes that we live in are bought from you know for those reasons and so when when somebody asks a question and i know like you can't answer it to me like straight up like well, is this a good time to buy it depends, right? Like, do you, can you afford it? And, you know, we kind of start to go through the list of questions to figure this out. But then also, it's just in the world we li- where we live in, where the data and information and the news and the social media and all of that is so, and internet, everything's so available to us. You read the hot headlines of like, interest rates are like whatever they are today, you know, 6% or 5%. And so you're getting confusing information about like, what, what should I do, right? Is this a bad decision? Like, do I not buy now? Um, and so a lot of people kind of get stuck, you know, paralyzed in making these next steps. You know, you're um, right. And on your point, yes, an excellent point. It seems like the last few months, it's uh, it, the media has been telling people not to buy. And they're, the stories that are coming out are excruciating. And they have these folks that are predicting doom and gloom and all this other stuff. Look, I'm not an economist, but when values go down, it's usually because of foreclosures. And to have a foreclosure, you have to have job losses. And it's, you know, maybe we're gonna have that. I, I, I just don't know. But we are in this really weird standstill right now mm-hmm. because at least in Los Angeles County, inventory is not going up that much. It's going up, but it's still historically, oh, it is still a, what's called a seller's market in most of Los Angeles. And a seller's market means that there's less than six months worth of inventory. And what does that mean? That means if no new inventory goes on the market, which means no new listings going on the market, based upon the, the sales pace, it would take six months for all, all the properties to be completely sold. So now if it's more than six months of inventory based upon the sales pace, it turns into a buyer's market. Now, you, if you, if you talk to anybody, they're all going to say, it seems like a buyer's market, but if you look at the data, 
it is clearly a seller's market. So um, tough to answer. This is, this is what we all talk about. I mean, I sell a <laughs> lot of homes. I talk to a lot of people. Uh, you know, yeah. we have an office meeting all the time and everybody goes back and forth with their, their theories. Uh, I think this will all, I think this will pan out better than most people think that, or at least I think this will pan out better than the media says it's going to pan out. Uh, I hate to be wrong, <laughs> but at the end of the day, people still want a house. There's still, it's still a very simple supply and demand issue. Uh, interest rates are still going to be historically low for at least the next few years, probably, even if they hit 8%, I mean, ouch, but still 8%. I mean, when I was, you know, 30 years ago during Jimmy Carter's reign, it was 21%. And people bought homes, right? Nobody just sat on the sidelines. <laughs> Still, life moves on. It right? does. It does. I like that. So, all right. So let's talk about your book because you oh. specifically wrote it for, um, for, for folks who are selling it. Right. And I'm sure there's actually, um, I I've read the book and, um, have, you know, have, lots of ideas from it but i you know it's like it's not just the sellers the buyers need to be aware of some of the things that are going on so um tell us a little bit about why did you write a book not that you don't you know you have that much spare time in your day <laughs> and why specifically focused on this topic well it's funny um uh, i didn't want to write a book i'm not a writer it's actually the hardest one of the hardest things i've ever did in my life it took me five years what it started with was i really wanted i love data like i said and i I wanted to see what, what works and what doesn't work. When I found out the National Association of Realtors and the California Association of Realtors has this massive trove of data that they update uh, every six months, uh, I decided to buy these, uh, buy the surveys. And there's like, they were like 120 bucks each. It's like 200 pages that I would print out. And I would, it was just amazing that I, I was seeing stuff in there that realtors weren't really being told. We were being told, realtors have been told for eons, and they still are being told, as a real estate agent, you need to have your real estate sign out there. You need to bring your own buyers to your transactions and, and represent both sides. You need to do open houses. You need to advertise. You need to knock on doors. You need to do mailers. Uh, <laughs> so what's really shocking, and it's in the book, it's all backed up by data. All of those things actually don't serve the seller. They serve the real estate agent in the, in the form of providing leads for them. What, what happened with me was five years ago, I started looking at all this data and I was completely shocked because no one talks about this stuff. And it's right there from the National Association of Realtors. You know, that's, this is our association. We pay dues mm -hmm. to them. They're representing us. Anyways, um, I started writing what's called a white paper. And a white paper, um, they're not super popular. It's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a thesis. It's kind of like a, it's, it's like a uh, uh, scientific report. And you state all your facts and you back it up with um, footnotes as to where you got the information from. And I kind of thought it'd be cool if I wrote a white paper on to, to expose the industry kind of in a way. It really wasn't my intention, but. And then I went to a seminar and listen to this guy that talked about writing books. And he said that most people want to write a book, but they regret they never do. And he has, uh, he as a publisher for small um, authors, uh, they help you uh, with editing and, you know, kind of put it all to help you put to get, put it all together um, and with structure and making sure you have the right message and, you know, the little things like proofreading and stuff like that. And then they launch it for you on Amazon and, in other portals. So I approached the guy, I told him my idea. He said it was a fantastic idea. Um, he said that uh, there's a good chance you'll be a bestseller on Amazon. And just so you know, to be a bestseller on Amazon, you have to sell 200 books within a few hours time. Um, not, not that big of a deal. And, and it has to be in your category. Amazon lets you pick three different categories. So you can have a real estate category, you can have a marketing category, you can have, I think my other category was, uh, I forgot what it was. <laughs> um, it sold 38,000 copies last year. It took wow. off. Uh, I've done a lot of these podcasts. I've been on a lot of TV programs, a lot of morning shows. Um, it was not my intention, but I'm gonna take it. It's been a lot of fun. 
I, I get a lot of phone calls. It's for me, to me, everybody's telling me the same thing. It, no one's ever written a book like this. It's a little bit, it's a, it's a tell all. It's kind of what's behind the curtains in the real estate industry, but it is gear, it is, it's geared towards a home seller. It's not really geared towards a home buyer. Mm-hmm. And it, this goes through all the mistakes that a typical seller makes when they sell a home. And uh, a lot of it has to do with the agent that they hire. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it will go, go through a lot of stuff where, you know, the book will explain, you know, who you should hire, how you interview them, how many you should interview. Now, for example, 75% of all home sellers interview just one agent, which means they didn't interview agents. They just picked somebody. I mean, because <laughs> a friend, because a friend, right, or a neighbor down the road said, "Hey, this is who you, I used to sell my home," or you know, or this is who somebody used on the road, and that's exactly. how they select someone. Or yeah. they pick a friend or family member, and there's they a do. there's a whole chapter about why you may want to consider not hiring a friend or family member, mm-hmm. and it explains it explains some um, hard some real hard realities in there, and it goes through a lot of examples. And I, I hope to convince people that, you know, this is a very important decision when you're selling a house. I mean, at the end of the day, most home sellers want to make the most amount of money and they want the least amount of headaches and they want it quickly. And believe it or not, you're going to make, you usually make more money the faster a home sells. You usually just don't make more money the longer it takes. It, it usually doesn't happen. Um, yeah, so, let's, I mean, let's dive in a few. If you, I'd love for you to share, like, in your opinion, you know all of them by heart <laughs> from your experience and the research you've done. Let's let's highlight some of these for um, for our listeners because there's definitely if there's buy if there are buyers now, there will be sellers one day in the sure. future. <laughs> well, this is what I guarantee: if if you have a chance to to, to grab the book, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, if you email me directly. And you don't mind listening to me for three hours, I'd be happy to send you a link and you can listen to it on audiobook for free. Um, cool. You may not want that. You may just want to buy the book. <laughs> for 20 bucks. I guarantee you that $20 will enlighten you and it'll, it'll make you a very, very smart seller. And I've had a number of home sellers that buy the book and they literally hand it to the listing agent. This just happened in, in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I'm in Pasadena, California, but in St. Louis, Missouri, this gentleman bought my book, uh, read the whole book, took my advice. When the, re- the one realtor he decided to pick, he handed her the book and said, just follow these. I don't want you to make any mistakes. The realtor called me and said, she said, oh, this, is, this is great. This is fantastic. And I want to tell you, I'm going to be real upfront about this. I don't want to, I'm not going to rip on the realtor community. There's bad apples in every industry. Um, we tend to get the brunt of the jokes <laughs> and, and the, uh, and, and, you know, people trying to denigrate our reputation and rightly so. Um, it just takes a few bad apples to make everybody look bad, but not all agents do these mistakes. Um, but it does happen quite a bit that I, it, I think it's worth worthwhile looking at. And in the conclusion on the book is actually, if you don't really want to read 150 pages, there is a synopsis for four pages and it'll explain, you know, what are the real lessons. Um, but if you do want to really dive into it, um, I hope to convince you that, you know, this, these, all of these um, strategies and mistakes are, um, are, um, are, are powerful and effective and real. Uh, so in terms of like, so you were asking me about, um, let's throw, I, I, I had mentioned uh, the real estate sign. Everybody thinks you have to have a real estate sign in front of your house, right? That's what we are accustomed to, right? Like the minute you see the sign, you're like, oh, something's going on, right? Or it, it draws your attention. Well, according to the National Association of Realtors, um, you have a less than just less than a one percent chance of selling your house because of an open house sign. I'm sorry, because of a for sale sign. Awesome. We're going to talk about open houses later, but we're talking about a for sale sign. Mm. Most of my clients elect not to have a for sale sign in front of their home, and I'll tell you why. Interesting. It invites people to go into your backyard. It invites it sends, team seems to invite people to walk up to your door look in the windows and stuff like that. 
Uh, yeah, sure. Some buyers do stuff like that, but it's uh, in this day and age, you have to be careful. It's a, it can be a little bit dangerous, but a real estate sign can't go viral. You know, it's, it's kind of an old fashioned way of marketing. And I know that in the old days it worked and I know sometimes it does work, it works 1% of the, the time. And maybe you'll capture your neighbors, I get it. Um, but generally the, you know, I think there's other things that your real estate agent should be focusing on to get you the best buyers rather than something that's not that effective and has some drawbacks. Um, do you find, you, do you ahead. find, I just have a follow-up question on that. So it's kind of probably heading in the, in the direction of marketing conversation, right? So like if I'm a seller and, you know, my, my agent is telling me like, okay, we're not going to put a sign in front of, you know, in our front yard. So I'd be like, okay, well, how are you going to market? Right. Or I'm assuming you as a rep, you know, representative agent will have a database. Right. Um, and you know, you know, you're going to bring buyers, right. Or we're going to advertise to bring buyers. So like how, how, how do you kind of sense that that's a good way to do it aside from just, you know, the data that shows it's not a most effective way to have a sign in the front yard. I have a few answers for that. Uh, and I'm gonna bounce around a little bit. One of them is you, you need to have the right price. You have to have it on the correct portals, the multiple listing service. Over 90% of all sales in the United States happen because of the multiple listing service. You need to have it on the multiple listing service. Mm -hmm. um, having it on just Zillow or some of these little portals like for sale by owner.com and stuff, that's okay but it's not as powerful or sure. as wide reaching as the multiple listing service. Now there's, there's a lot of other, there's actually a Chinese multiple listing service that I put my properties on. It's called Juwai, J-U-W-A-I.com. And that's, that's the Chinese MLS, but the general M, the multiple listing service in, um, in really anywhere in the United States, they, when you load your listing into the multiple listing service through your real estate agent, because you have to have, be a real estate agent to have the multiple listing service portal. It auto, what's called auto populates, it feeds into other portals like realtor.com, Zillow, and Yahoo Real Estate. I mean, there's, there's a lot of portals, but it, it's really important because that's where your buyers are looking. Your buyers are looking on the internet. I, mean, I say it in my book over and over again that your first showing is on the internet. Mm -hmm. Your second showing is when they come to the house. That really is, that's, that's the vast majority of buyers, how they, they handle uh, purchases. They, in the old days, I used to, uh, if you wanted to find a house, you know what I would do is, Anna, I would call you up and say, hey, let's meet on Saturday morning at nine o'clock. I've got 20 houses we're gonna look at. We'll go through them in the car. We'll whittle it down to 10. You're, and then I know for a fact that you're going to be really tired by, by lunch time. I'm going to take you to lunch. We're going to get a few Cokes in you. And I'm going to find out which one you really like. And we're going to write an offer. And that's, that's the old way of doing real estate. People don't get in real estate agents' cars anymore. We just, that stopped a long time ago. If you're working with a real estate agent that's doing that, you kind of, you have to wonder, you, really your first step needs to be uh, on the MLS. Now, you had mentioned, uh, that boy, don't you have your own buyers? Well, <clears throat> there's something in real estate called dual agency. Mm -hmm. And in real estate, that's where a buyer and a seller is being represented by the same broker, same agent. It may sound really good. However, most of the lawsuits in real estate, go figure, have to do with dual agency. And in a close second is uh, lack of disclosure, but let's talk about dual agency. In California, uh, the agency, the word agency has been, been defined by our California legislature, and they define it as a fiduciary responsibility of, of utmost care, trust, integrity, uh, and confidentiality. How, how in the world can you represent both sides uh, and do this, do that, and, and provide that level of service. It's impossible. Attorneys aren't allowed to represent both parties, um, but in California, uh, we are allowed to actually represent both sides. Even though, you know, you think about it, the buyer wants to get the best price, the seller wants to get the the best price. 
Those two things are in complete conflict. How can you possibly get an agent to do both sides effectively? I don't know, I haven't figured that out. I don't do it. But you may not want to hire a realtor that says they have their own buyers. You know so, what? Yeah, those that, buyers will still be around if you if you tell them not to represent them and 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 still put the house on the market. I I have a follow up question onto on that because we came we came into that situation, you know, buying buying our home. A lot um, of people, yeah. Now, I mean, Yuri is a. And we actually had the seller represent us really more simply because there wasn't a whole lot to do in this case. And we can, you know, he can handle a lot of, a lot of, like a large part, part of the transaction, but I don't want to get into that top and into that side of the conversation. But what I wanted to clarify with you, so if you're a seller's agent, right? So you represent the seller and your, your duty to them, right? Because as a financial planner, I hold the same, same seat, right? I got to act in the best interest of my client and provide the best advice I can, right? Um, and I'm not influenced by any, anything else. Um, so if you're representing a seller, right? You're, you're, you're helping them sell the house. How, where would the buyers come from? I, just, I mean, just, just like, if this probably goes into the marketing, because that's why I said like, you're kind of bringing the buyers, but really it doesn't mean that you have to work with the buyers. Well, usually dual agency benefits the buyer side and it benefits the realtor. Very seldom does it really benefit the, the seller. It's mm. the realtor and the buyer that usually benefit because the realtor is for the most part getting a double commission and the buyer is getting a fast track to get the house. Mm -hmm. I know it's mean to say all of these things. It doesn't always happen that way, but this is the thing too. If, if the agent that's, um, that was representing your house when they were selling the house, if they're representing a buyer, they have to disclose it to other buyers. So say for example, somebody calls on that house and says, I'm really interested in that house. The listing agent has an obligation to let them know that they have a buyer that they're representing for that house. Mm -hmm. Guess what does that do? It just, it kind of takes the wind out of the sales of the buyer because they figure, well, I'm never going to get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why would they want to work with me? Why would they, you know, they, now he has to split the commission. He or she have to split the commission. I'm not saying it's always bad, but if you want to have a, a, an easier path to get the most amount of money, just have your, ask your agent to represent your interests and your interests only and be an advocate. And I'll tell you, I've sold, I don't know how many homes I've sold, sold between 650 and 700 homes in my career. Um, I stopped doing dual agency about 10 years ago. And I'll tell you that this is the way the conversation usually goes. A buyer will call me because I'm representing a seller and they'll say, I saw your house on the portal, whatever, Zilla or whatever. I want to buy it. And I say, great. And they ask me if I'm the listing agent. I say, yeah, I'm the listing agent. They say, great. I want you to represent me because I want the house. <laughs> yes. Okay. It, it's enticing. You know, I'll make double the commission. What I say to them, and I say the same thing over and over again. So I say, I have an agreement with the seller. I can't represent a buyer in this transaction. I would be happy to tell you everything you want to know about the property. And I would be happy to find you a real estate agent. 99% of the time, the buyer says this, that's okay, I already have a realtor. I was hoping to go directly to you so I can get the house and what's the big deal? You can make double the commission. You know, it's yeah. enticing, this happens all the time. I'm better off saying no, um, you, you know, especially in a multiple counter, multiple offer situation, guess what happens? Say for example, you get two offers three offers, 30 offers, whatever. And you have what's called a bidding war. So you get all these offers and you ask everybody to resubmit their highest and best. Now, I have to tell them I have a buyer. I have to tell all these other bidders that they're basically working against me. And I'm gonna make double the commission. So mm -hmm. guess what happens? A lot of those buyers, they go bye-bye. They go, you know, I don't even wanna, I don't wanna play this game. Yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I'm wasted enough time on this. I'm probably not going to get it because realtors do this a lot and they just go bye-bye. So what does that do to the seller's price? You have to ask yourself, 
if you're turning off buyers, you're potentially turning off the best buyers and you potentially could be losing tens of thousands of dollars. And not only maybe tens and thousands, ten, ten, maybe not even dollars, but maybe you're losing really good terms because at the end of the day, when you sell a house, it's not all about price. It's mm-hmm. about terms. And you want to sell to somebody who, who can close. You want to sell to somebody who has maybe short contingencies. You want to sell to somebody that, that is, um, maybe it's not going to be a pain. Um, maybe they're, you know, you may have a, may have a buyer that has a very, very difficult loan or an appraisal that has, they have to go through. And, you know, sometimes people don't want to sell to those folks because they want to, they want, they may want to sell to somebody who has a, a much larger down payment or cash really kind of depends. But at the end of the day, that really, if you, if you want to avoid this potential, this is a conflict, in, but a potential mistake, just tell your agent. And if you have a, if you have an ethical agent, most agents, if you ask them, do not, I do not want you to represent a buyer on my transaction. Most of them will say fine. Yeah. And I actually um, happened to be at the networking event last night and we had a, a realtor uh, do a presentation on just the, you know, the market and overall. And so there are some, I don't know all the details, you know, and because that's not entirely my industry, but it uh, on this topic too, there are some potential changes coming uh, where there's going to be agreements uh, or buyers will have to get their own agents and agreements to be have to be signed and the, on the same topic where the commissions like you were talking about like you as a seller's agent get could get both sides of the commission and seller always has to pay and so there's some changes coming to an industry where it probably kind of spins from this conversation where like is is the seller being honestly represented is the buyer being honestly represented and how who and how should pay the commission so i know it was interesting um well, to hear that if it wasn't a big deal, then five states wouldn't be outlawing it completely. So there's five states that will not allow dual agency. It is completely forbidden. The so, buyer yeah. has to find somebody else. But in, I'm going to get on my soapbox here and talk about politics here. But in California, they're more interested in trying to figure out the housing crisis and other crises that we have. And they're not too, the legislature is not too interested in banning dual agency. It's it there, there, there's always whispers of it, um, but it never makes it that far. So I, I hope that they ban it. And I know that yeah. some of these listeners in California probably hate me for saying that it's, it really isn't good for our industry. And the argument they have is that it's not fair that a buyer can't call the realtor that's representing the seller to buy his home or her home and you're, you're really kind of creating a housing issue for people and that's not fair. Well, you know, I hate to say it, but in California, there's realtors everywhere. One in 42 people in the state of California has a real estate office, I'm sorry, real, real estate license. So you're not really like throwing them to the wolves <laughs> when you tell me <laughs> you can't represent them. They can, yeah. you can find a real estate agent. It's, it's yeah. a good it's, one, uh... maybe tough, but you can fi- always find a real estate agent. Yeah. So in, um, in, in, in closing of all of this so far, and I, we will have uh, a link to your book in the show notes and you mentioned there's an audio version. So I know folks can check out, uh, there's definitely interesting and interesting topics and mistakes that you've listed for, for our listeners thinking about, okay. Um, so, you know, what's kind of like, if I'm selling a home, so what is the most important thing you can do to increase the odds? If it's not the price, if it's not, um, you know, having the buyer sort of be in the circle, if it's not the sign in the front door and like, how do we kind of sell this home fast and for the most money? I'm, I'm sure that's the typical question your clients ask you. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm not trying to make money off my book. I'm like I said, I'm willing to give, a, I'm, I'm willing to give it away. If, and it's, it's only 20 bucks on Amazon. I'll give it, I can't give away. Amazon won't let me give away my book on Amazon. I just, I don't have that ability. You know, maybe if I was Barack Obama, I could give away. The thing. <laughs> it's not a problem. Big time, big. So I just want to get the information out there. And this is really fun. And this is, and it's become yeah. a passion for me. Um, but in, to, in terms of what can people do? Well, obviously read the book, but it, a lot of this is going to be taken care of if you hire a top local realtor. Now, I talk about this in the book. We have the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. 
and that that really does apply in real estate. Eighty percent of the agents do twenty percent of the business. Huh. Okay. Twenty percent of the agents do eighty percent of the business. So it's it's probably more like ninety ten. It's probably about ten percent of the agents do ninety percent of the business. Focus on I think the top ten. Uh, and you can find a top 10, you, you can find an agent out there. If you have a hard time finding an agent, I have access to the multiple listing service and almost everywhere. If you're a listener and you don't know how to start trying to find a really good broker, shoot me an email and I'll give you two or three names that are in your local area that are selling a lot. Chances are those folks will subscribe to most of these principles. And if they don't, you can let them know that you want your house being sold with these principles, but I'm happy. That's a free service. It's a day to get that information to you, but shoot me an email. Be happy to help. Yeah, that's, that sounds great. We can definitely offer that. So, and is it really based, based on like amount of sales? So there's other factors to take into account when Possibly. you're looking at like somebody looking around and like, who do I pick? Well, we're talking about uh, listing agents. Listing seller. agents. I'm Correct. Seller's agents. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's, for example, I, I really I don't really represent buyers. I mostly represent sellers, and that's a personal choice, a professional choice. It I just seem to be very good at that. Um, and then there's agents that just they don't really care for the listing side. They like the buyer side. So you probably want to find somebody who really enjoys the buyer side. Um, but in terms of the seller side, yeah, you generally you want somebody who's very local. I mean. You know, you don't want your realtor having to drive 45 minutes to open up a door or meet people. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Unless you're in the outskirts of, you know, some of these rural areas, and that's a different story. But, you know, in most cities, you really don't want your real estate agent having to drive more than 10 minutes away, you know, because you want to be able to have showings happen. Because oftentimes, somebody, if, if they're selling their house, you know, even just put a lockbox on it and just let people go in, unless it's vacant. But you do want to have a top agent. There's a there's a reason why they're top. They're top agent. There's a reason usually why they sell so much. And I'm not saying that everybody that sells a lot is a really good agent. Um, but the likelihood of them not making mistakes is pretty high. If you if you latch you know hit your what do they call it hit your uh, wagon to a you know a star you know you with anything in life, if you're going to get knee surgery, you want to get, you know, wouldn't you want to go to the best knee surgeon? Yeah. And so in this information for sellers to assess is available where, like, how can somebody tell somebody's a good agent or sells a lot? Is this the, is this what they say on their website? Like, cause I, I, I hear, I see this a lot too. Like, okay, we've sold, you know, this much, this many homes in any given year or this much, in, in terms of like millions of dollars worth of homes, like how, what is a lot or what is not a lot? So first of all, and I, independent brokers are gonna hate me for saying this, but there is a lot of power in hiring a realtor who works for a large company. I work for Sotheby's International Realty. We're an international firm. We do everything all the other big companies do, but we also do international marketing. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would recommend taking a look at them uh, you know, the large companies, Coble Banker, uh, Keller Williams, but it depends on the marketplace. There are some marketplaces where Sotheby's is really not there. There's some wow. marketplaces where Remax is the king and they just do more, more business than anybody else. So it really kind of depends on your area. Uh, but I know your question was, how do you find these people? Well, in the book, it kind of details, one of the things you can do is pick up the phone and call the manager of the, lo lo the local and largest real estate office and ask the manager, who's your top agent? Who gets all the, okay. uh, who gets all the awards at the Christmas party? Yeah. You know, because a lot of times, if you have to ask that question, you can't just say, can you give me a good agent? They're going to give you somebody that yeah. needs business. You don't necessarily want somebody that needs the business. Look, I don't need the business. I make it happen though. You know, you don't, it's like, would you hire a contractor to remodel your kitchen that has to advertise or would you hire somebody who just works on referral? You know, they're busy people, but they make it happen. And I think that's, that's the same with any industry. If you really, really have to market yourself and advertise, well, you should be basing it based upon referrals. But, you know, when you talk to that manager though, ask them, 
ask them those pointed questions. Who Who's number one, who's number two ranked? And I wouldn't deal with anybody else, to be honest with you. And there's a, there's a, a chapter about working with teams. Teams can be good and bad. There's the, the big thing in real estate over the last five years is people to create teams. It allows realtors to have a life and it allows realtors to, and they pass the duties on to everybody. And, and unfortunately, it's kind of like a football player. You can't really have two football players carrying the same ball. There's gonna be a fumble. Um, so my advice is to hire somebody who's a top agent that maybe has two or three assistants, but you're gonna be working with that top agent over and over again, because you don't really wanna be passed around. There's, there's too many nuances. There's too many uh, loose ends in a real estate transaction. Um, and it's, I think it's much better to have a one point person that's handling all of it rather than being bounced around. And that tends to happen more so in teams. So just be careful. Read, read the chapter about teams. Yeah, I like that chapter actually quite a bit. <laughs> knowing, knowing, well, my husband is, is uh, you know, again, in, real, in commercial estate, it's slightly different, but um and personally, professionally going through the fact that I'm building my team. So I, I, I like your comments on that too. Um, how, in closing of all of this, I know we can have another hour <laughs> more conversation, but being respectful of your time, how can um, our listeners connect with you? Uh, my website is michaelbbell.com. Michaelbbell, there's two Bs there, .com, one word. Um, they can shoot me an email at michael.bell at sotheby'shomes.com. Look, if you just type in my name, Michael Bell, real estate broker, you're going to find me. It's going to be pretty easy. I'm pretty quick to respond. I like to keep my email box down to zero. I'm very good about responding to people. And if you need help, they, you're not bothering me. Sometimes it may take a day for me to find somebody that you may want to seriously consider interviewing, but I will find that agent for you it, uh, or two. But it, like I said, it won't cost you any money, but you're going to have to give me about a day because I do have to dive in and look at, I have to research them. I have to look at the numbers. And I'll tell you, it's hard to figure that out sometimes if you're just using Zillow or Realtor.com because they don't give you the whole, the whole story about that agent. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Zillow portal is great, it, it, but it doesn't show all of it. And, um, you know. You know how this is with real estate agents or really anybody. They all say they're top agents. <laughs> what does that mean? Top 50%? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us. It's been really insightful. And um, we will include all of this information that we're, our folks can connect with you in the show notes. And very much appreciated. Thank you, Anna. This is great. I appreciate it. Hey, Money Boss. Thanks for tuning in today. If this episode did help you, then please be sure to share it with someone else you think will benefit from it too. After all, smart financial decisions are for everyone, uh, so don't be greedy. I hope I can help you even further by sharing with you how thousands of clients I worked with in my career over the last 16 years created their very own successful financial lives on their terms. It's hard for me to do this over an audio, and if you are ready for the next chapter in your life, then be sure to go to MainStreet-Money.com to get your free resource guide to help you begin correcting top six financial mistakes I see people make all the time, such as not having clear financial goals, not having a handle on spending or saving for the future, not knowing how to get rid of all the debts, and of course, not having a clear strategy or plan on how to protect your hard-earned money. Until next time, remember, you are the boss of your money.